That was flutist and 2010 National Heritage Fellow Mike Rafferty playing the Shaskeen, the Green Blanket Reels. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Mike Rafferty has devoted a lifetime to exploring, performing, and teaching traditional Irish flute and whistle music. Rafferty learned to play the flute from his father in Ireland's County Galway. After Mike came to the United States and started a family, he actually put the flute aside. But when his children were grown and he was able to retire from his day job at a local supermarket, Mike began to play publicly again and was quickly appreciated for his exceptional artistry. He became known for his East Galway style of flute playing and was soon considered an extraordinary teacher of Irish flute. In 2010, in recognition of his accomplishments as a performer and as a teacher, Mike Rafferty was named a National Heritage Fellow. I caught up with Mike at the Catskills Irish Arts Week, the largest summer school devoted to traditional Irish music and dance in North America. We spoke in the common room of one of the local inns, and at points during the conversation, you can hear strains of the flute and fiddle music being played by some students who are sitting on the inn's front porch. I began my conversation with Mike at the beginning. That is, his beginning. I was born in the village of Larrabier in the um, parish of Banlickill, East County Galway. You want to know my age, too? I do. I'm, I don't well, mean to pry, but yes, know, I would okay, like to know well, your age. Well... September the 27th, 1926. And how many kids in your family? There was uh, seven of us. And where were you? I was the fourth one of the boys. There was The three boys were older than me, and the three girls were younger than me. So you were sort of smack dab in the middle. I was smack dab in the middle, yeah. And what did your father do? He was, he was just a small farmer, but he was a great flute player in his time, yeah. And he was the one, that, of course, that showed me the music. So you came from a musical family. There was music in your house. Yeah, there was music in my house. And my mother was, didn't play music, but she had a brother that was a great flute player. So there was music on both sides of the family. Now, your dad's nickname was Beryl? Beryl, yeah. Where did that come from? That, uh, somebody said, he, he, had, he got a great tone out of the flute. And uh, they said he could fill a barrel with wind. That's how that came about. And there were seven families of Rafferty's, and we weren't related. And uh, to, to differentiate for the postman, the mailman, if you will, they were, they were all nicknamed. We, we were the Battles, and the other ones were the Gads and the Slaps and the John Joes and Jennings, and they went by that name. It's in Romoriere, like it's farm country, that's what it is. And everybody had a, little, a small farm, maybe... Uh, 20 or 30 acres of land was the most anybody had around that area. Everybody was self-sufficient at that time, and there had to be. You know, you had your own milk and you made your own butter and bread and all of that kind. There was no such thing as going to the store and buying stuff you couldn't get. It You could buy the tea and sugar, that was about it, yeah. And maybe flour sometimes. But you had your own wheat and you went to the mill and you got a ground into flour, and that was... That was, uh, that was the way things were, and everybody was happy doing them things. What did the countryside look like when you opened the door of your farm? What, what would you say? You find plenty of fresh air, and 
the green fields, the different colours when they have the crops planted, like oats is one colour, uh, wheat is another colour, barley is another colour, and a, and a little field of potatoes is another colour. And if you could fly over, it's beautiful, but if you're up on a hill and look at it, it's beautiful. And I, I, I really treasure that today when I see a picture of it. Yeah. The green fields. The, in, in Ireland, the, the fields stay very green because they get quite a bit of rain. Mother Nature takes care of it. So your dad would work all day in the fields. Yeah. And then in the evening when you were doing chores, would he play? Oh, yes, at night, yeah. Yes, it, when I'd come in from school. and I, w- I started learning how to play when I was about seven and a half on the whistle. And then he would show me every chance he got, every time that when I'd be around, especially at night. And the winter time was more appropriate. There was less work to be done. Are you the only one in the family who played? Yes, I was the only one. We tried with my three older brothers. They tried it, but they, I don't know how they fell away from it. They weren't successful with it. Somehow or other, their fingers wasn't doing anything for them. And he, he used to... He used to uh, bring that to their attention. Your fingers aren't moving like I want them to. So uh, when, when I started out, he was bent on doing, making me play because he knew that I could do it. Was he a good teacher? Oh, yeah. He was, uh, I used to watch his fingers. We didn't know any notes. Nobody could read or, read or write music in them days. Well, around the area that I know of. And he, he showed me with his fingers. And he'd play a little section at a time and... And we go back at it, and that sec- practice that section now, and so on. And that's how it went, from section to section. And then you, you grew into it. Your father lost his eyesight. Yeah, at an early age. I was, very, uh, I was very young when he lost it. I wasn't playing when he lost his eyesight. I just barely remember when he did have some sight, you know. And it was from cataracts. And in them days, of course, there was no cure for it. Mm. Nobody knew what it was. And my mother thought it was from blowing into the flute to make you go blind. So she didn't like it when you started playing? She did not, and uh, as I grew up, uh, she gave away a flute belonging to me, by the way. She gave the flute away, but I can't blame her for that, you know. She, this, is, this was her thinking, yeah. She said, maybe we could get a fiddle and you take up the fiddle. My father's uh, first cousin over the road, over a couple of fields away, he was a nice fiddler, but I, uh, I wasn't interested in the fiddle. I was starting on the whistle already. Well, of course, I was advancing onto the flute. And then I used to work for nearby for farmers, everywhere you get a day's work or work for, you know, you work for the different people. Work for the land commission, making drains, draining the water off the land and stuff like that as I grew up. And then when I was 23, I came out here. Can we backtrack just for a second? So your father was blind when he was teaching you the flute, but yet he could just hear your fingers were not doing what they were supposed oh, to be yeah. doing? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All I had to do was watch him. And he, uh, he was left-handed and I was right-handed, and that made it much that much easier. Oh, he'd by ear, yeah. That's wrong. So he, he would raise his fingers again. It's this finger. I wouldn't see or D. We didn't know. If, we didn't know the notes. That was it. It's just, if it wasn't the right note, he knew it. You'd play at home, but would you also play at parties before you left Ireland and came Oh to yeah, America? I I played with the band. We used to play for dancing. We used to play for Kelly. They had the dance halls over there at that time, and of course they'd gone away from them for, for a number of years now. But it, there was local bands. There was a, a, a band in the parish where, where I was, the Bandley Kill Kelly Band. And there was the Akram Slopes Cayley Band, and 
There were so many in the parish that was in the band that where I come from. I couldn't get my place. I was a bit younger than them. So there was 11 miles down the road. They come, commandeered me. I played with them. It was known as the Kilimer Cayley Band. And once a week, or maybe sometimes twice a week, we'd play at a Cayley or something. And which, there was money involved in it then. What's a Cayley? A Cayley is a gathering of people and dancing. And you're playing for them, the different sets and stuff like that, yeah. Like a dance-off for the, the parish priest would run a dance in aid of the hall or in aid of the church. And, of course, they'd, be, they'd get so much money for it, and the rest would go for the need of the church or a fundraiser sometimes. And the bar clubs would be doing the same, so you'll play for them. I got a couple of questions about Galway and the flute. Is there a particular Galway style of flute playing? I suppose there was in them days, uh, but uh, they, right now Galway and, of course, the neighboring counties, it's more or less a standard style. And I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell whether you were from Galway or, but in, in years ago you could tell, especially a fiddle player. But I don't know about the flutes that much. And of course, like everything else, uh, there was no, the transportation wasn't great. You walked, or you were, and there was no cars. There was only one or two cars in the parish. Of course, the priest of the parish he had a car, and maybe a teacher that was teaching in the school they might have a car. They were making the money, you know, so they could afford a car. There wasn't that many cars around anyway in them days. Why do you think Ballinakill, am I saying that right? Yes, Ballinakill, B-A-L-L-I-N-A-K-I-L-L. Okay. Why do you think there were so many flute players there? Well, there was fiddle players too in the, yeah. Or the, music. I don't know, it was uh, just a nest of people that got together and they... I don't know, it's, uh, that's the way it was over there. You know, I guess one person learned it from the other. I don't know why, but they were there, and they're all gone out of there. The, the older ones have passed away, and the younger ones, some of them didn't take up the music. Do you remember your first flute? Yeah, it was belonged to my father. Yeah, that was my first flute. Naturally, it would be handed down. It must have been quite an occasion when he gave it to you. Well, it was sitting there, just played. Because he, 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 he wanted me to play it, yeah. You try it, and we'd, we shared the flute, in other words. Do you remember the first time you played out, played outside of your home at a party at a Cayley? I was uh, maybe 16 or 17 when I sat, but I couldn't tell you the exact age. Uh, there was a fiddler, he was a bit older than me, and I used to, to fiddle and flute, and we used to be asked to play it house dances or parties. There was another thing they used to have too, and I played a lot at them, was Harvest Home, when they'd have all the, the harvesting done, and the wheat, and the, they'd be trashing the wheat and all of that, and there would be party in the house that night. And I worked for a guy that had that machine. We'd go from house to house. Uh, then, of course, I was 18, 19, and I well able to work, and I was 23 when I came out here. Why did you decide to leave Galway? For a better living. There wasn't, employment wasn't that much. In, and of course, it was just after the Second World War and things weren't that good over there or any place in the world, as a matter of fact. So uh, I had a sister that came out here ahead of me and she uh, got me out here. When you came here, you went to New York City. Well, I did. The person that picked me up, 
he was a policeman in New York, and he put up the papers for me. He was a friend of ours. I knew his brother in Ireland and his sisters, and uh, he agreed to put up the papers for me. Anyway, uh, that's how I come out here. And I came to White Plains, New York. Oh, White Plains. Yeah, yeah, that's where I first came to. But the difference from Galway must have been enormous. It was an enormous, and it was just before Christmas, and you're coming through the city, and every place is lit up. It was uh, very exciting. And to look at the big buildings, yeah, it was, it was exciting, yeah. I was a real greenhorn, to be honest with you. As that's what they called them years ago. They were greenhorns. They knew nothing. You come from the country, you... You come into the city with a different life, a, a different lifestyle altogether. I got used to it after a short time. Well, you were lucky you had family here. I had met my sister, and I stayed with her, and then I went to work in a private estate yeah, as a gardener. That was my first job, yeah. And then I stayed with that for a while, and they were hiring the Grain Union Company was a food store. They're not around anymore. They were a food store, and I went to work for them with more money. Were you playing at this time? No, music was slack. There was a, I thought everything was gone. Music was slack at that time, yeah. There was nobody to play with. There was one fellow, he came out two months ahead of me, but he was living in the city and I was living actually in Purchase, New York. And then, of course, I moved to New Jersey and he was living in New York and transportation was rough that time until you got to know the train. And then I got married in 1953. Then you're raising a family and you had to concentrate on work. And music, I, I hadn't played for a long time. Would you play at home occasionally? No. Then I worked two jobs. I worked as a part-time bartender as well. So and you I, were busy raising yeah, how many, busy, four or five? Was, we had five. Five children, yeah. That's a big family. Yeah, it's a nice five. It was plenty, let me tell you. Keep an eye on them and you know how it is. But they all turned out good. Well, what brought you back to music? Uh, there was two, uh, two um, accordion players from home with me. That there were only boys when I left. And uh, they came out ten years later. And they were the ones that got on to me. Why aren't you playing? And they encouraged me back into it again. And then I got a flute. Then I could get around a little bit here and there. And I they would, had sessions in New York and the Bronx. And I had my tape recorder and... I used to tape the tunes of I, tunes that I had forgotten, to be honest with you. And then I would come home and practice. And then, uh, I don't know if you knew him or heard of him, I'm sure you did, Mick Maloney. He came along, and he was the one that took me out of my, uh, my box, if you will. And uh, he recorded me in the house. Then I, then I got into it, yeah. And then I went on the tour with the Greenfields of America. That was three weeks. Now, and how old were you? When I did that, oh, 19, uh, 1979, I went on the tour. Yeah, that was the year we went on the tour. But I was practicing for a year before that, before I couldn't make that, you know. So in. you were in your 50s when you picked up the oh, flute yeah, again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was playing a lot before that, but not good enough to go on a stage and play uh, without a lot of practice. And then you you'd had to learn more tune. As we went on the road, I picked up a lot of stuff, yeah. What was that like when you first went back and there you were on a stage? Yeah. Well, I did a denial and, and it came back to me kind of thing. I, I had it, it was like learning all, all over again in one sense, but I had what it took to do it. I knew how to do it, you know, except to get the tune in your head and 
that's about it, and practice with the other ones. I didn't have too much of a problem with that. Yeah. It was there except to do it. And as you know, practice makes perfect. You retired from the Grand Union? I retired from the Grand Union in 1989, and that's when I really paid attention to the music. And then, of course, my daughter, she was taking on the music. Your daughter, Mary? Yeah, and uh, that was a big interest to me, and that was a big thing for me. And when she was a little one running around, anything she seen me do, she wanted to do as well. And, Dad, I can do that. And by golly, I said, there's no reason why you can't. And that's what it all started from. At that time, too, I was working two jobs, like the barking at that particular time when she took up the music. And I wanted to send her to Matt Mulvaney. He was a great teacher in the New York area. He said to me, why are you sending her to me? I said, because you're going to teach the noise and I can't. I don't have time, Martin, and I'll appreciate it. But when Mary had come, she had a tape recorder with her, and the tune she'd be learning from him, he'd put it on the tape, and I could learn it and show her, and she went back with the tune off by hat. So actually she had two teachers. I gave her a lot of attention, you know. And of course, like as she grew up then, she was a little shying away from it. And I said, don't uh, hide your Irish culture. Never be ashamed of that, because I said, you can be proud of that. So I kept coaxed her into it, and... I was very happy with her. You were clearly teaching Mary, but you also became a renowned teacher, one of the great teachers yeah, of Irish yeah. flute playing. When I retired, I, my wife, Teresa, got on to me. She says, why don't you start teaching? And when I had a bunch of little kids, and some of them were beginners, and I didn't care a whole lot for that. I said it would be better if they were advanced. But I did that for about a year and a half or something. And then Mary was, grew up at that time, too, and she was helping to teach. She used to teach the accordion. And I was teaching the flute and whistle. I didn't travel around to teach any, except I used to go when they got me to go to North Carolina and, and West Virginia to teach, and of course to come here, and other places that I've gone for weekends and stuff. That that was part of your job. You, ha- you have to do workshops, they call them. Yeah. Well, how was that for you? Did you that like doing nice. it? That was You meet nice people. You meet nice people along the road, and some of them are good. I was there. Uh, a week in, in, in Milwaukee one year. I spent a week there teaching, and that was great. Yeah, and, and my wife traveled with me. That was only a few years ago, you know. It's so interesting, isn't it, that Irish music, how many generations old is it, and here we are in the 21st century, yeah. and you're still teaching it, people are still playing it, there's a whole younger generation out there eager to pick it up. Well, there was another thing that amazed me and I was very happy with when they, when they took up the Irish music here in America and people that didn't have Irish names. And there's a lot of people of Irish and they don't know, damn, excuse the word, they don't know nothing about Irish traditional music. That's, a, that's as true as I'm sitting here. And yet people from that no Irish blood in them at all and they love it and, played and, and plays, plays it very well indeed, yeah. What makes Irish music Irish music? Well, for one thing, the songs, there's, they have sad feelings in them. Irish traditional music has a sad part, but it has its very lively parts as well. And uh, I guess that's the only way I can word it. You know, there's, feel, there's a lot of feelings in it. Like for dancing, they hop around and everybody seems to come to life if you're sitting down and... You're watching somebody dance. It's nice to watch them dance, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And they, they enjoy that. And then they, they, the dancers, they understand the music as well. 
and the timing for it. And then the songs, some of the lovely songs that s sang, there's lovely feelings and water. There are a lot of them love songs, but they're very nice. Yeah, it's, uh, I, a lot of people fell in love with Irish music. What was your first recording? Do you remember? Mick Maloney came to the house and he, uh, right through the leaves, I think, was the first one. I forget what year that was. What was that like for you, the first time you're in a recording studio? It was kind of fun the first time. But then you'd make a mistake and you had to go back over it again. And they didn't have the, the techniques of, of uh, putting, taking the bad part out and putting the good part in like they do today. The, the first time I did it, you had to play it all over again and hope you wouldn't make a mistake. So that's what, that's what it was, yeah. It took three days to do the first one. Even the last one that we did with Willie Kelly, uh, that took three days, you know. Well, the last day is a kind of a listening session. Uh, what did you do wrong or this, that, or the other, yeah. But Mary was there with me and her husband, and they had sharp ears, and they listened to every little thing. We have to change that or so on. You made a CD with her. Oh, I did. I made uh, four CDs. The first one was The Dangerous Reel, and then, of course, the last one I did with uh, Willie Kelly. Mary conducted it, and Donald backed us up with the guitar. That's my son-in-law, of course. There you yeah, have it. Yeah. yeah, you play often older songs, songs... Yeah, I like to keep up. the old ones alive because some of the new tunes uh, that, that, that's composed, I, I can't take a liking to them, but some of the older tunes, uh, for the history of them alone and for the old folks that play them or even compose them, how they did or how they learned them is beyond me. But they left the groundwork for me to do them. And I, any one of them that I think of, I can play, I love to play them. And not alone that, that novelty never wore off on them. The, the tunes, there was the nice feelings in them, yeah. That always stay fresh. They always stay fresh, in other words, yeah, yeah. You play tunes that you learned from your father or that your father would play. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. play them with your daughter. That's correct, yeah, because she, she was very interested in that. She said, did your dad play this, you know, so on. I want to learn that, yeah. So I used to make up a, a little cassette for her, and I would give her tunes for Mary to learn. And every time we do a concert, she would talk about that, you know. There's a couple of tunes that's gone down on the ground with the old band, the Kill Band as well. They had, besides the book, they had older tunes, you know, and... Uh, some of them were a bit selfish with them in a way. My father wasn't that way. They wouldn't play it for everybody unless you were around. And of course, like everything else, if you didn't know how to write it down and there was no tape recorders in them days to tape them, to keep them. But you had to learn it and you could forget it. And that's what happened to me. I forgot some tunes in that respect. The Smithsonian Folklife Festival in 1976. Yeah. That was a big deal, wasn't it? That was a big thing for me. That was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, yeah. I learned a lot of it that week. That was the Irish week in, uh, in the Bicentennial celebration, yeah. I don't know would I be up to date on it because that made me spend more time regardless every minute I had to play and sit down before I went on it, yeah. Yes, that was, that was a big thing, yeah. Now, when you go back to Ireland, Mike, do you, do you bring your flute? Do you play there? Oh, of course I do, yeah. Of course I do. I just go to the pubs and have a few tunes with the friends and stuff like that. We find out where there's a session going. And they have what they call the singing pubs over there. But there's very little singing now and then. You get somebody to sing a song. 
And then they uh, would pray and drink a couple of pints of Guinness and so on. But there would be no money just for the fun of it, yeah. People call your flute playing very lyrical. Do you think that's the case? Well, it's a, it, it's the old East Galway style. Nobody's playing in my style. A lot of people want to learn that style. It's, can you explain what that style is? It's more or less a slow style. What I would call it is playing the tune and playing it with feelings in it. If You know, like a good singer from a bad singer, with a nice tone of voice and, and uh, clearing the notes. Yeah, that's my only way of explaining it, yeah. How did you learn that you received a National Heritage Fellowship Award? Barry Berge called me on the phone. I was sitting on the couch, and she, my wife answered the phone, and she come down the stairs. I, we have a basement, and I was sitting down there. I thought, I said to her, oh, you played the lottery. We won the lottery finally. I thought, that's what happened. I didn't think I was going to. I didn't have a clue until he called me up. He says, I'm not joking, he said to me. <laughs> well, I hope you're not. But he explained the whole thing to me. Yeah. yeah, it was a surprise, let me tell you. But like I say, I, I, uh, I didn't think, uh, how could I have earned something like that? I loved what I do. I, that's one of my love. I love Irish music, and I love to play it. And that was something that I love, really. And, and I share it with others, and that's about it. Thank you so much Thank for you giving me much. your time. Thanks. I Thanks appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was flutist and 2010 National Heritage Fellow Mike Rafferty. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts of the song, the Shaskeen, the Green Blanket Reels, is from the album Speed 78, performed by Mike Rafferty, used courtesy of Mike Rafferty. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. Next week, folklorist and recipient of the 2010 Bess Lomax Hawes National Heritage Fellowship, Judith McCullough. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.